Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Andy's Treasure Trove. It seems like only yesterday that my last episode was published, but it's been six months. Sorry about that. We started off with some thunder that I recorded in San Francisco a couple weeks ago during a magnificent electrical storm here. Then I'm sure you recognize Pee Wee Herman from Pee Wee's Big Adventure, a favorite film of mine, exclaiming my name when a jealous giant named Andy starts chasing after him with a club made from a dinosaur bone. I'm sure you remember that scene. And you heard Becky Haycox, winner of the iPod contest a while back, squealing with delight about Andy's treasure trove. After Becky calmed down a little, I talked to her for a few minutes about her wonderful quilt making, and I'll share that short conversation with you in just a minute. After a brief chat with Becky, I'll be speaking with Lorenzo Barrar, a young jewelry maker and a naturalist who lives in the forest and whose specialty is mycology. And then to the main event, my conversation with Candace Roberts, a delightful cabaret singer and recording artist who stopped by Treasure Trove Productions recently to chat, sing, play the ukulele, and eat some chocolate. This episode is dedicated to Carol and Frank Debrick, two wonderful friends from Oregon who are going through an especially challenging time. My loving thoughts are with you both. And now let's talk to Becky Haycox, a crafty lady from Ventura and another one of the human treasures in Andy's Treasure Trove. I've been doing a lot of um, quilting and trying to apply new ideas and new materials to it. I made a quilt last year out of junk mail that I sewed together. And uh, that actually won first place at a uh, a show down here in Ventura. Cool. Um, And I've also been trying to do more science-based quilting art. So I did... uh, I did a, sewed a cloth quilt out of um, various colors, and it was a chart that was um, a protein study of circadian rhythms in the human brain. <laughs> and I sewed um, the quilting embroidery pattern was EEG of the brain at, at rest. Uh-huh. So I've been um, kind of geeking out on the, the, the nerdy end of, of crafting. I always give them away. I usually have someone specific in mind when I make a quilt. I like to visit them. I like to request that people send me pictures of them lying underneath <laughs> them. Uh-huh. Um, I love, I gave one to Molly, who you know. Yes. And uh, that one's about seven years old, and it's really, and I also give lifetime uh, repair warranties. Gee. So I've taken it with me, or I've come up there, and I've, I've repaired it on the spot, and it's so nice to see it get old. You know, it's just, uh, that's, that's to me, is the destiny of a quilt. It should be used and loved until it falls apart. It shouldn't be really hung on a wall or preserved. If my listeners are curious, is there any place online that they can take a look at some of the things you've made? Yes. Um, my website is beckyhaycox.com. That's B-E-C-K-Y-H-A-Y-C-O-X. And uh, under the arts tab, you can see the junk quilts and the... Uh, Science Quilt, and there's a link to my other stuff, um, and there's also a blog there, and uh, yeah, they can find out more about me, and you're welcome to like me on Facebook or whatever <laughs> the kids do, <laughs> whatever way validates myself in the current technological age. <laughs> Thanks again, Becky. Now let's talk with Lorenzo Barrar about the jewelry he makes as well as the jewels he finds in the forest. Well, here I am out in the woods with Lorenzo Barrar. It's unusual for me, but it's 
where you live. Yeah, um, I've lived in the woods pretty much all my life. Um, the thing about the woods that I like most is that there's just so many things to see and hear, and you can sit for hours just in one place, and you'll see hundreds of different animals and plants and mushrooms. Well, I was lucky enough to go on a mushroom hunt with you once, and, and recently you went on a mushroom hunt with Jack, and you found a little teeny tiny, I mean, it's smaller than a penny, this t- little tiny mushroom, and I'm going to put a picture of it um, on my website for my listeners to see. But how do you spot something so small out there? Well, a lot of it is luck. You know, sometimes you'll be lo- looking for something else, and you'll go to pick it up, and right by your hand there will be a mushroom, or you'll take off your jacket and crawling on it will be some amazing caterpillar or you know you'll be laying down and a bird will just (laughs) poop on your shoe can you tell anything in that example from that or is it just a mark usually just something that you want to take your shoe off and hop back home on one foot well this little mushroom that that i've been talking about what family uh, is that from well, I'm not quite sure, but I think it's from the Merasmus family, um, which are really tiny. And, yeah, they're really hard to spot because they're usually just little brown spots. Most people call them LBJs, which stands for little brown jobs, just because they're so small and so brown. Mm-hmm. My listeners will see the picture of it. It has a little tiny thread-like stalk, and at the top it looks like a, a little pink parachute, but it's only about as wide as you know, the capital letter B in a, in a book. It's, it's tiny, but um, full of detail and, and beautiful color. Yeah, um, most mushrooms, even though they blend in so well, if you actually take a look at them, there's lots of really interesting details on them, just spots or how succulent the insides of them are or what the veins look like or... Yeah, there's a lot of things, and when you live, when you walk in the woods, um, if you just take the time to look at something like a mushroom or a plant or even something as small as a rock, you'll see a lot of different things that you'd never have seen if you just walked by it. That's true in the desert, too. A lot of people think there's nothing there, but you just have to look a little closer, and there's infinite levels of detail. I know that there are a lot of the mushrooms in the forest are poisonous, but... Many of them are delicious, and what are, the, what are your favorite mushrooms to eat that you get in your, in your backyard? Well, I think my favorite mushroom is chanterelles, just because they're a little bit easier to spot, because they can be anywhere from bright orange to white, and most other mushrooms are just brown or whitish brown, just kind of a tan. Um, so they're actually a pretty good beginner's mushroom and they're pretty easy to clean. They taste really good. You know, they're a really gourmet food, I think. I think the my second favorite is Belita's family, which are, many of them are poisonous and can make you sick, but there's several types that are really tasty, and they're about, they're pretty big. They're maybe about the size of, the biggest one I found was well, the top was the size of maybe a dinner plate, small dinner plate, and they kind of have a brownish top, 
and the underside of the top is kind of porous and looks a bit like a like a kind of whitish brown sponge and their stalk is sort of bell-shaped and that's really the one thing that makes that you can tell them apart from other bolitas and they're also a really good beginner's mushroom because since they're so big the cap usually isn't touching the ground or the leaves and won't get very dirty and because they're also because they're so big you can easily see them whereas some other mushroom might be hiding under a leaf or next to a tree or something like that and they're really tasty they 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 have a pretty strong flavor if they're really small and they've just popped out of the ground you can just slice them up and stir fry them but usually what I do since I usually find them when they're a little bit bigger is just slice them maybe a quarter of an inch thick and dry them and then store them in a jar in a dark place and put them in stews and tomato sauce and things like that. When I went mushroom hunting with you, we were looking for, or what we found most of, were one of the names for it was death trumpet. And and that's going to scare somebody who's thinking about eating something when it's called death trumpet. Yeah, they're kind of misnamed. And other names for them are black chanterelles and black trumpets. Um, they're probably the hardest to spot of the chanterelle family just because they're to- all black and they don't grow very far up from the ground. And they're sort of a trumpet shape, so what you have to look for is just a black hole in the ground. But they're really, really tasty. And I usually just saute them with a little bit of cream and some herbs and put them over pasta. That sounds delicious. Now, another one that um, I know is around here that a lot of people eat uh, are hedgehog mushrooms. Yeah, those, at least where I live, are a little rarer. There's a couple spots that I have. They're, yeah, they're pretty tasty. Um, They're kind of distinguishing features that the underside or the gills are hundreds of little small spikes, which is why they're called hedgehog mushrooms, and they can actually get pretty big, bigger than than other kinds of chanterelles, at least. That's all very interesting, and now I want to start talking about, about your jewelry. So when you're not um, doing all the other outdoor things you do, something you do indoors is making jewelry. I'm looking now at a selection of it, and I've, I've taken a few pictures that will be on my website for listeners to uh, take a look at. But um, it looks to me that most of the materials are different types of interesting glass and different colors of metal. Mostly what I see here are earrings. Besides earrings, what other kind of jewelry have you made? Um, I mostly make earrings, but maybe a quarter of the time I make bracelets and necklaces, too. Um, I think the reason I make so many earrings is because earrings are so much easier and you can make something that's smaller but a lot more beautiful and intricate. Well, a lot of these have colored glass, and I think you told me once before that some of the glass and maybe some of the other pieces that you use are are very old. Yeah, I, I use a lot of kind of antique jewelry. I go to thrift shops and things of that nature and buy old antique necklaces and things like that and 
disassemble them and then put them back together in something totally different. And I I also add gems and carved stones and but yeah, most a lot of it is actually just antique material. And do you ever have any hesitation that maybe the necklace deserves to stay together versus be taken apart to make earrings or is or do you are you always sure that what you're going to end up with is is better than what you started out with? Well, if I I usually don't buy anything that I think is too beautiful to take apart. Where are some of the places that you've um, been selling your jewelry? Well, continuously I sell them at Roots, which is um, kind of a, a apothecary mixed with a gift shop in Pointerina, which is near Willala, California. And I have a small display there, but other times I've sold them at our local art center and the gallery of our local art center called the Dolphin Gallery, which is actually in Willala. But that's really only for Christmas shows and other holidays. Do you see yourself um, taking any right turns and going on off in a different direction, or are you pretty happy exploring the world of mostly earrings and antique materials and so forth? Well, I actually started out tying flies for fishing, and then I somebody gave me some jewelry material, and I just started experimenting with it with some of the feathers that I had, and then I kind of got interested in jewelry, and people started giving me more stuff, and yeah, I've kind of gone away from tying flies and more into jewelry. I would imagine it would be a nice feeling to know that things you made are in other parts of the world being worn by people and admired by people, and they have a life of their own after they leave your workshop. Well, I hope so. I have actually seen people wearing my jewelry around town just only a couple times, but I've actually been pretty happy after seeing that, and I after that I actually made like 20 more pairs of earrings and a necklace. Yeah, so it is inspiring that yeah. people are using your stuff. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, if you're a painter you and you see one of your paintings on somebody's wall, you feel pretty happy, or if you're a sculptor and you see one of your sculptures in some garden or somebody's house, or even if you're a plumber and you see somebody using the sink that you installed, you get pretty happy. Thank you very much for talking to me, Lorenzo. Thanks for having me on. You can see photos of some of Lorenzo's jewelry, as well as a photo of the teeny tiny mushroom that we spoke about, on andystreasuretrove.com. And now to lead into my interview with Candace Roberts, I'll play you a little bit of her song, Somewhere Else, one of my favorite tracks from her new album, which was produced by Bonnie Hayes.
that's one of my favorite tracks on the album, and it's one of the more serious ones. It's still witty, but uh, this whole album, and let's talk about it as a whole, it's, it's witty and funny, but it's also very poignant, and the themes of, of loss or disconnection or loneliness um, are there, despite the fact that you, you, it's very wry. It, it was very parallel to what was going on in my life, I think, over the last five or six years, um, just working working some stuff out. <laughs> and um, just, and also, I think just, oh, writing songs or just being perplexed by certain things in our culture and why things are the, the way they are and just not getting it. It just, like, doesn't make sense. And so kind of, I don't know, maybe just, thinking about why we do the things we do, you know, and, um... There's a lot of material there. My uh, large staff did a certain amount of research before our meeting and found a, a couple reviews and some descriptions of your work. And I wonder how you feel being compared to Brenda Lee, for example. I'll be, I'll be very honest here. My music knowledge, like what I listen to, is very limited. I'm sometimes like I'm a, ver I'm a person who gloms on to things that I like, but people talk about this artist and that and this genre of music, and I, it just, you know, goes over my head. I, I have very, I think, my specific tastes, but um, some of my friends actually laugh at me because I'm someone who actually prefers silence a lot of the time. Something else I read about you, or excuse me, that my staff found in their heroic research effort was a little bit of background uh, mm -hmm. going way back to childhood. Okay. And, and what it says here is that at the age of eight that you made your theatrical debut in the highly coveted role of the <laughs> Virgin Mary in the third grade nativity play. It was just the beginning of what proved to be a long tenure as resident, quote, goody two-shoes, unquote including stints as Dorothy, Alice, and Little Red Riding Hood. So, I believe that. I'll take that at face value. What I'm interested in finding out is if you were or are a goody two-shoes. Was it typecasting? I, I'm very trusting, very gullible. I like, I'm often, you know, friends love to pull a fast one on me. And um, um, that's the thing. Like, I was... I was not trying to be a goody two-shoe in the sense of like the person that purposely goes out of their way to do something good, but it seems like the teachers always knew. It was like as if the teacher in the next grade, the teacher before that I had told them, and it was like I was pegged and I was like the teacher's pet and I used to get picked on for it and I hated it. I mean, I used to cry and go home and, you know, just ask if I could skip school sometimes. So it, it wasn't fun. It wasn't like I, I want, didn't want to be this. That was the thing. Did um, you ever purposely misbehave or, or mess up on a test? Well, this is the story that I... Okay, there was, again, Catholic school, my fifth or sixth grade year, there was this thing called the Spirit Award that, like, three or four kids every year got for being, like, exemplary students or just upstanding friends to everyone. And I, I seriously got it, like, every year in elementary <laughs> school. And seriously, I, it would upset me so much being pegged into this that one of the last years I was at this school, I asked 
the teacher, my, my, the sister, if she would not give it to me. Just assuming, I, I just went up and knew I would get it at the end of the year, and I said, could you just not give it to me? And, and she was like kind of stunned, and then the award ceremony happened at the end of the school year, and they didn't announce my name, and the whole class turned around and like looked at me. Everybody was like, just... <laughs> couldn't believe it and then I the last day of school I went to say bye to her and she handed me a envelope and she gave it to me anyways in an envelope <laughs> she, so I got the award anyways but just not publicly <laughs> well the way I thought that was going to turn out was that she said well I'm sorry Candace it, I wasn't intending on giving it to you. I think it, it was a very awkward interaction, I think, for the both of us. And <laughs> well, I think you both probably learned something. <laughs> I, I know I did. <laughs> what did you learn? <laughs> I learned that my days as a nun were over. After that conversation <laughs> with you, I went straight to the Mother Superior and initiated a sequence of events which ends up with us being here in this room today. Um, yeah. So, again, just my staff did all this research, and I don't want to disregard it yeah, because yeah, then, yeah. then they'll feel like they, what are they here for? Except for the high wages and great benefits that I pay them. Then we talked about another favorite track of mine off the album called Handbag. One morning I was in my kitchen with my housemate at the time, and we somehow had some trashy magazine in the house, which we don't often have. And there was, we were like eating breakfast and I was just kind of flipping through the magazine and I opened up and there was this ad. This um, woman was fully naked, um, you know, she's like size zero, you know, a toothpick, but she's naked with her legs spread, you know, wide open and she has a handbag like covering her crotch and all the strategic parts and all that. And, um, and it just was like, I mean, granted, there are handbag ads everywhere, but there was something about that that just, like, hit me. It was like, you know, okay, women are always selling beer with our bodies, and we're selling sports cars, but it was like, wow, it's like we've really moved on to kind of selling primarily to women these, you know, it's almost like, again, she's having sex with the handbag, and it, or it came out of her, you know? <laughs> I don't know, there was just something that really hit me. Like, we, I just started saying, it's just like the, the new currency is handbags. I mean, that, I mean, I think I said those words that morning. It was like, I hadn't really woken up to it yet. I didn't really, because I don't pay attention. I, I always have a, a, a backpack, and so I really hadn't realized how significant they had become. And I think it was kind of my, the dawning to me of how significant handbags were. I was like, wow, they're, I mean, like I said, she could have had a, a mug of beer in her, like between her legs or, but now it was a handbag. So I just thought um, it was, yeah, my, my waking up to that, I guess. And I think you mentioned Prada and Dior. Louis Vuitton. And do you have, you don't have any handbags like that, right? No, and I don't, I don't want to be also some snob that's telling people not to own handbags, but I... I no, do. no, no. I was, what I was getting at was I, maybe I can go after those companies to sponsor the show. Oh. <laughs> so, of course, we wouldn't want you to tell people they don't need those things. Well, yeah, it's, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a mixed message in there for sure. Well, let's listen now to the song Handbag. <laughs>
Daddy, please, won't you buy it today? Don't show me no love. I'll give you a shove into Prada to buy me a handbag. Did you hear? Did you hear that they emptied the treasury? Treasury. All the gold was thrown into the sea. Become the new currency. Now let's get back to little old me. I want, I want, I need, I need it. Must have it now. I want, it, I want it. I need it. Must have. I'll trade you ten pork bellies for my Louis Vuitton. I'll trade you six barrels of oil. I'll trade you my mother. I'll sleep with your brother as long as I got me. Yes, luxury at all costs. Even the most poor people like those symbols of wealth. Oh, yeah. Uh, my audience can't see you and your sequins and, and <laughs> the, uh, the little clutch made out of... What kind of fur is that? Oh, only the most endangered. <laughs> and, so, and your voice is suddenly sounding different because you're having one of the fine chocolates that I give. You've spoiled to... me with this chocolate. I'm going to eat the whole plate of it. Well, you know, it was a tiny plate. I ate half of it first. so Okay. It's all I yours. feel better. Well, if uh, my listeners will recall, episode number 12 of Andy's Treasure Trove started off with music from your album, Honeymoon for One, and the song was BFG. What does that stand for? It stands for Big Fat Garbage. So this is a song that starts out, it starts, it's very operatic, and it's, it's very classical, and it's symphonic sounding, and it's very dramatic. And then, like a lot of your songs, it, it has this funny little twist where you, the voice just entirely changes, and we go right into slapstick-sounding kind of vaudeville. <laughs> mm -hmm. Take us through the evolution of the writing of that song and the arranging of it, and then we'll have a listen to it. Um... Basically, the chorus got written first, so the big fat garbage part. There's big fat garbage coming out of your mouth. And that came about really quickly. I was watching a piece of the Republican primaries where they're all getting together and talking about some issue, and I think it was all about terrorism and homeland security, and it just... Yeah, I, I think I was just overcome and, and left the room and it was just, I don't know, just, uh, it was so much, you know, the message of fear. It, it was just, it was pretty much driving that home from every candidate and 
I just said something like, oh, it's just like garbage, like big, uh, like big fat garbage coming out of their mouths, like all of them, you know? I mean, it's just this, I mean, and again, the, the Democrats, I think, are just the same. I, I just happened to be, catch the Republican. I, I probably would have, you know, the same thing to say if it was the Democratic um, primary as well. So I wrote that, and then I kept thinking about the idea of this idea of being betrayed by our political system, this idea of kind of the analogy of a scorned lover, like a lover that's been betrayed by somebody who promised her something.
Next, we chatted about Cescalona, a song that I totally misunderstood until Candace explained it to me. It seems like the person in this, in this song is just wild about her pet pig and all the different ways she loves to describe it in food terms. <laughs> right, right. So what's, what's that? What's up with that? It's, it's not even about a pet pig. There's no actual live pig. Um, the, how this song came about is that I have a niece, and her name is Francesca. And um, she's half Italian. Her father's Italian. And I started making up this little song one day on the beach for her. I just, I, I just, I like to make nicknames up. You know, I, I, I love nicknames for people. And so one of them, I mean, we call her everything. I mean, she'd be Cheska, Frankie, all those things. But I started calling her Cescalona and singing it on the beach like it was this old Italian song, like Cescalona. And um, she hated it. But, <laughs> um, but it just stuck. And, and that melody stuck in my head. And we loved to kind of... Um, ooh and all over her when she was a baby because because of her Italian roots and her, her father's native Italian, like from Italy, you know, we love to talk about her prosciuttos, like her legs and, and her little, you know, all her body parts talking about them as if she were a little pig, you know, like, you know, your, yeah, your prosciuttos, your, your pork chops, your, um, all of it. So, so there was that little kind of ham talk about her in a cutesy way and um, and then I thought, God, I'd love to write a song like extolling the virtues of a woman as if she, we were comparing her to a pig because mm. it's so, I mean, we're so fat phobic in this culture and, you know, no one wants to be compared to a pig or being fat. And so I thought, oh, I just, I want to just turn it into like a love song to this kind of female that's, that's kind of, you know. Again, comparing her to a pig and her piggy virtues and all that. And how you want to eat her up. Totally. Yeah, well, totally. It's, it's, it made me hungry. <laughs> okay. Right. But I actually wouldn't have been surprised if you told me that you, yes, indeed, you had a little, or you used to have a little pig. A pig. Francesca, baby, I don't mean maybe You're the perfect pink piggiest Of a little lady crazy, alright I wanna gobble you up tonight Some call you Frankie, but not so lanky We're all a bunch of Francophiles But not in the froggy sense, in the piggy sense She's my heart's content You're three little pigs rolled into one I'm the big bad wolf And I've come undone You're so tender In all your part that it's splendor Cheska Lona My little Cheska Raining runs in residence Your Panchetta's having sent Wilbur had nothing on you Frank Aloni
Like a baby You're my favorite swine Your pork chops are tops Your prosciutto's divine Then there's Miss Piggy She's rather twiggy Compared to my succulent Piggly Wiggly Her pink complexion We also talked about the album's producer, Bonnie Hayes. I originally asked her to produce my record, and she said she wasn't certain because she felt like it wasn't her background, this type of stuff I was doing. Um, She's more of a, like a a rock kind of, rock slash country slash pop thing going on. Those are kind of the genres she worked within, and... um, a lot of my songs, it, it seemed like it was kind of, they were coming from a lot of different directions and there was kind of this overarching sort of cabaret theme and um, she just didn't think that was her background or she didn't have like a tool belt for that. And I said to her, nope, I want you, you know, I said if 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 we don't know where to go at, at any given moment, we'll figure it out. You know, I just said, you're the person I trust and I want you to produce the record. And she did, and I feel like, you know, she did a phenomenal job and really helped, you know, rein it all in and make all these kind of different sounds and songs work together. And, and that also um, brings up the man who mixed the record, um, Jim Dean who uh, became a good friend of mine, he, I think, did an amazing job just, again, unifying the sound at the end because I think when he originally heard it too, it was like, okay, gosh, like how are all these sounds going to fit together into kind of one palette? And, um, you know, he, he really was patient in terms of like, okay, just turn that vocal up just one notch. Let's add that K at the end, you know, consonants at the end of words. We just want to bring that K up a little more or that T. And, and he was so willing to do that. And in the end, I mean, I was so pleased. It sounds exactly how I envisioned it could sound. Was there a conscious decision you made about what role humor and comedy was going to play in your music? You know, it's a good question because I originally when I started writing songs didn't really think anything was funny like I didn't write with that goal at all oops <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I just thought to write songs about stuff that I thought were you know interesting I'd hear something that somebody said and be like wow I like that. that's an interesting concept or um or something you know some like I said the ad the handbag ad but I didn't I didn't go about it with like, oh, this is going to be funny. And then I took classes and people, it was like definitely like a workshop forum that I I definitely workshopped a lot of these songs and people responded and laughed. And I I was actually quite surprised at first and didn't really um, realize that. And, um, And I think then it became clear that there was this theme to me at least for writing music where I liked the idea of using these saccharine sounds, these kind of very, these very melodic um, sounds, these um, somewhat vintage sounds, but lots of harmony, lots of um, shimmering and and reverb, um, just a lot of these saccharine-like sweet sounds, and then kind of juxtapose it with something else like it sounds sweet but it's saying something different and I again that happened I didn't realize I was doing that at first and then I just I guess then I just 
decided it was it was working on some level. Um, but I think to go back to what we were talking about before about kind of looking at why we do the things that we do. Um, I liked that idea of sort of pulling back the veneer again. Everything is kind of sugar-coated and there's that big smile in our culture, but then you kind of pull back the curtains and you really see what's going on. And I kind of, I felt it, I felt, well, I feel like sometimes I have a hard time writing straight, serious songs. There'll be songs I've, I've brought to a class or songs I've worked on with Bonnie and I'm just trying to do something straight and, and serious and I feel like it, it fails in a way. I, um, I feel like sometimes maybe it's more effective for me at least to say something that can sound sweet or sincere but then the lyrics are are kind of in contrast to that or or vice versa. Yeah, sometimes the lyrics sound a little subversive compared to the the genre, you know, right. the, the way the song begins and we think oh it's going to be uh, about this, but and it is maybe but then it's 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 not the standard take. I guess right. I guess you're you're taking some stereotypes and twisting them a little bit. Right, right. Um, and in the direction of of comedy or wit or humor right and and that might go back to what we were also talking about about the goody two-shoe thing i think it was like being this maybe inherently good kid but kind of hating it so it's like this sort of getting branded as this like sweet child but but kind of feeling like it misrepresented me like there was something like no but you don't get it like there's this isn't me fully you know i don't want to be pegged in the little box is just the I don't know the sweet kid or sweet thing or yeah well you seem very sweet so I'm not ready to <laughs> let you give up on that identity but I think for professional reasons it's probably best to keep your options open <laughs> yeah the audience at home you can't see this but Candace is rocking in a rocking chair and and gulping down all these chocolates on the plate I can't believe she's eating every single one she's a pig she's a pig then I asked Candace to get out her ukulele and play something for us. Um, maybe I could play a little of Layover Man. Remind me about that song. Oh, I know. That's the one where, once again, he's done it again. He's fallen for a lesbian. <laughs> exactly. It's about... I guess that was a spoiler. That was a spoiler. Um... Uh, it's about a really good friend of mine, who you actually know, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if I should reveal his name, though. Uh, who falls for lesbians over and over. And basically, in the course of me writing the song, like, in the time period since that song has been written and he heard it, there's been about, you know, four or five subsequent, you know, examples of him falling for lesbians. It's, it's like, it, it's like chronic. So he meets them and then he thinks, he, he's like, oh, I met this person and like he goes back and then invariably in some conversation she'll bring up her girlfriend or, you know, but, and he'll just be like, what? Like he just, <laughs> like there have been so many times where he was convinced, he's like, I, 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 mean, I met this woman and she seems amazing, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's just like this time, he's like, this is good. Da, 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 da. And then next time you see him, he's like, I just, I couldn't believe it. It happened again. Like, he just... 
marches in step with nobody in sight. She says, my friends in a band, they're playing out tonight. Meet me at eight. He's pretty sure it's a date. They paint the town racing through the streets. He's in tip-top form. He's high on her speed. They get to the show. Some drummer girl says hello. Now she's playing a song. He's just left she's in a bit of distress they had a thing a fling way back when and now she's single again she says come over at 10 don't do it man although it feels so right it's a dead end street you'll be wasting your time tess moves in for the kill next thing a blur in her bed then it's over and done and he's caught up in his head Hey Tess, I love you, I shouldn't ask for more Let's get married Tess, she bolts out the door No, no, not this again, 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 again He's falling for a lesbian No, not this again, Well, I'm eagerly awaiting your next album, and I know my whole staff is Excellent. By the way, did you meet any of them as you came in? Uh, no, I didn't. They try to make themselves scarce when I have visitors, but um, <laughs> I think I hear scurrying now. <laughs> They're hiding. Candace, thank you so much for visiting Andy's Treasure Trove. I'm very appreciative that you took the time. Thank you so much. Well, that's about it for this episode. Thanks to all my guests and, of course, to all my listeners as well, especially to my newest fans, Peter and Kathy Hart. Hi, Andy. This is Peter, and um, calling on behalf of my wife, Kathy, also, uh, calling from Walton on Thames in England. Um, you'd just like to say how much we've enjoyed your podcasts, and uh, really looking forward with great anticipation for the next one. Okay, so keep them coming, Andy. Well done. Cheers. And here are a couple of other messages from listeners. Hi, I'm David. I'm calling from Fremont. Awesome. And I just wanted to say that I'm heading back to Asia. I've got a job in Astana, Kazakhstan, the capital of Kazakhstan. Say hi, Uncle. Hi, Uncle. Me, guest. And here's my other song, so I have to go. But we'll look forward to hearing more of Andy's podcast while we're in Kazakhstan. Karen, Los Angeles. Hi, Andy, and happy holidays. That. Orson Welles thing was the funniest thing I have ever heard in my life. It's totally priceless. Thank you for sharing. It's a great gift, and Happy New Year. Now it's your turn to call this number and leave a comment about the show or about anything that interests you. Please, please call 415-508-4084 and let me know you're a listener. I really appreciate it. 
My next episode will feature a very interesting interview with author Sarah Schulman discussing two of her latest books. Please subscribe to Andy's Treasure Trove via iTunes so you don't miss it. So long until next time, please tell your friends about Andy's Treasure Trove. All rights reserved, Andy Moore and Treasure Trove Productions.